What's going on, guys? And welcome to Convos with God, where I talk with spiritual leaders about how to connect with God on the most intimate level to break strongholds over your life and live out your best life. Faith is something we can't see, we can't hear, and we can't feel. But without it, it seems as if though we have nothing. I'm on a journey to have conversations with the most spiritually sound people in the world to understand how to become your highest self. On this episode, I talk with Samuel Chase. Sam is a good friend of mine who I look to for advice and guidance and one of the wisest dudes I've had the pleasure of getting to know. Every conversation we have is full of so much wisdom and golden nuggets that help my perception and always allow me to see a bigger truth in whatever I'm going through. His raw authenticity and comedic personality is not only entertaining, but full of so many life lessons beneath the surface. I'm excited to bring one of our conversations to life and definitely on a topic that is so near and dear to my heart for one, and for two, one that Sam has so much knowledge and experience in. We're going to dive headfirst in the universal, unseen force we call fear. Fear plays such a big role in so many of our lives. I want to open up this conversation with Sam to share a bit about his journey so far and how to develop ways to use fear for positive change. So without further ado, pastor and fear squasher, Mr. Samuel Chase. Overcoming fear and developing confidence through adversity. Thanks for taking the time to be on, Samuel. No, thanks for having me. I mean, you can keep talking, you know, don't let me stop you from like bragging about me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it'll come, it'll come. It's gonna come. Uh, so let's get to know you a bit. So my name is Samuel Chase. Um, so I've been born and raised in West Palm Beach, like in the heart of West Palm Beach my entire life. Now, a lot of people probably would not know that. Like, honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm adopted because I don't feel like a natural born <laughs> I just kind of feel like, okay, it's like, you know, I don't like heat. I like the cold weather. I'm not the big on beaches. It's like, okay, like, I feel like my parents are going to tell me on their deathbed that they adopted me or something and they forgot to tell me. Um, but actually, though, so I have been going to Christ Fellowship since I was like in kindergarten. And then I accepted Christ when I was eight. However, though, during the process of when I accepted Christ, in comparison to when I actually started serving Christ, mm. like developed eight years later after that. So it wasn't until I was 16 before things started to shift. But it was almost, but the reason why that happens because when I took a drug called Accutane, which is for cystic acne, and if you look it up, that's like one of the craziest things you could ever experience. Like, I mean, it's like not like a simple like blackhead, like regular teenage, you know, type of outbreak. I mean, it was like inside pimples and everything like bulging together and started turning purple and through got, high school yeah yes all the way through like through high school and all that and it started to get so bad to the point that when i woke up in the morning that would have a little bit of blood on my pillow so wow. obviously that it was like okay something needs to change and i tried changing diet i tried like proactive creams we even tried like when we went to a dermatologist we tried um, a drug or two and it just nothing was working it was very minimal if any result whatsoever so he was like hey we're gonna put you on Accutane and give you the highest dose possible and so during that whole entire time it had a lot of side effects on there but they were like hey if you experience any of these make sure and like stop it immediately and for almost all the way through the months following that I I saw how almost like two weeks before I finished, I kind of like felt a little off, but like I was kind of like in my mind, like selfish or not, I was like, oh, well, I'm almost done with it. What's the big deal? I'm a clear face. Yeah, right? I have a clear face now. <laughs> yes, this is good. Like I'm looking yeah. better now <laughs> so I can feel more confident with myself. And actually, that was the thing that actually brought a lot of fear in my life too and just a lack of confidence because it's just like my face just looked so bad. It was hard. Like obviously, it was just not only recognizable to myself but to other people. Uh-huh. But it was one of those things that what Satan meant for evil 
God used it for good. Huh. Um, and the thing is, though, even though the Accutane, like, killed my acne, it also almost killed me in the process. Like, even though I didn't attempt suicide, I felt like it so many times. Cause it was just like, you know, here's the thing, is that anxiety always involves your future. Depression involves your past. Mm. And I've actually experienced both ends of that spectrum because even though I never had, like, a bad life, like, I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. I mean, but the thing is, my mom was the one that was a very spiritual person, like, in the family. My dad was, like, he was there, but he wasn't there either. Like, he wasn't, like, the spiritual leader or anything. And also, too, while he never criticized me, he rarely complimented me either. And actually, that's part of the thing, actually, with this podcast, actually, with the fear that I started to realize later on in life why I experienced a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety because I wasn't getting it from my dad. So I was actually trying to find it elsewhere. Mm. And so that was something I didn't realize until years and years later. But now even then is that now when the eight years followed, I turned 16, I like had spurs of like highs and lows where I like, I would do this sudden like growth or whatever. And then it would pause and a sudden growth and it would pause for like a very long, but extended period of time. And it was always kind of like, okay, why am I experiencing this? Like, why does it happen? And it hasn't been until the past two years I finally realized why that happened. And now for the past two years, I've been experiencing consistent growth over the long term because I finally was working on things in my life in the past that I had never dealt with Mm. because of my fear of what would take place. Um, Because a lot of times when you go into the fear of the unknown, those are the places that are the darkest, it's the scariest, and you're kind of wondering what will be on the other side if I actually attempt to do it. Um, and on a side note, I would say, even though the most common question you get is, obviously when you're in the faith or at church, it's like, oh, like how long have you been going to church or when do you become a Christian? I remember you and I were talking about um, the last time we met, is that that's actually one of my biggest pet peeves. Not that it's a bad question, because I ask it too. However... I don't like the question in a journalistic sense because I know subconsciously at the very least people think, okay, they determine your spiritual growth based on how long you've been a Christian. But the truth is, I mean, you can have someone that's been a Christian a year or someone that's been a Christian for honestly like a hundred years and still act like a baby Christian, Mm -hmm. honestly. Like there's a difference between like just growing older and growing wiser. That's good. Um, And that was one thing I realized like how we talked about before is that you know, you can be like someone in marriage, you know, you can have someone that's been married for like 40 years, but yet been, you know, destroyed emotionally 20 years ago. Um, a relationship that's maybe lasted a month versus a relationship that's lasted a year, like you can't really base it solely on time. It actually is way beyond just that. So that's uh, some of my thoughts there on that. Good. Yeah. So you mentioned as you were talking that, you know, you, you received Christ into your life when you were like eight, mm-hmm. but you didn't start serving Christ until yeah. you were like 16. I think that's a good distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, explain that a little bit. What does that, what does that mean? So good question. You know, I would say like when I actually started serving and the thing is though, like what's kind of weird is that for some people it's instantaneous, like when they accept, like start serving Christ for me, it just kind of felt like when I was going through that depression, I really can't explain why I just felt a drawing towards it. Mm. Whether it was because my mom or the Holy Spirit or honestly, it probably was both. Like, I really can't explain it. It wasn't like one of those things like, I'm just going to do it. It didn't really feel like that. I just started to naturally do it through that dark period of my life. Um, And I started listening to worship music and everything. And like that old song, like we had when we were kids, like, here I am to worship. Like, 
Here I am to bow down. I can't sing it because I don't have the spiritual gifts of singing. <laughs> Maybe when I get to heaven, God will give it to me. Not yet, yeah, not yeah, yet. Not yet, yeah. So I guess a, a lot of lessons. But, uh, but he's like, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. And like songs from the inside out and homie down and all that. Like a lot of those type of songs like were really like an anchor for my own soul. Hmm. That even in the depths of the water, like something was still lifting me up mm-hmm. out of the ashes. And when I actually started like getting involved in students or wherever, because students at Christ Fellowship used to be in students on Saturdays. And that was actually like God will use anything at any point in time for any season. Like when I used to be at Church of Saturdays, like I seemed very introverted in my life. Like I and I say seemed or appeared like it, because sometimes things how they look like on the surface is not really what it actually is behind the scenes for better or for worse. So I didn't really have any friends or whatsoever. Like not necessarily like girlfriends, even guy friends, but that's even suckier. It's like it's like it's already crappy enough as it was. And it's just <laughs> like I just had like so much social anxiety that I just did not have a connection because of the fact that I was homeschooled, but it wasn't the homeschooling that was the problem. It was more me just simply um, not getting myself out of my own comfort zone and my parents not doing a tough love moment mm. and making me get out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So that also affected me a lot too, as far as the fear aspect of my life. But I would never all of a sudden, my parents were like, hey, why don't you just go into service? And I remember like going upstairs in the student ministries area on the top floor or whatever. And I remember like what month it was roughly. It was like in June of like 2009 or something. Because I remember Pastor Sean said like, hey, he says, just let you know, Fourth of July uh, concert has been canceled or whatever. So that's the only reason I know it was before July uh, 2009 was because of that one particular moment. I don't remember anything else about the spirituality of the message, but I remember that moment. But I remember, though, for the first time in my life, Austin, where I felt like I sensed something that was different about him. I sensed something real. I sensed something authentic that I really hadn't seen anyone. Even though my mom was still like, because I love my mom. Like, she's definitely very spiritual. But at the same time, though, when you really have experience that, like, from, like, you know, as a guy for, like, another guy or whatever, and, like, just seeing that real, authentic passion out of someone that doesn't try to act like they have their life all together, but yet they express their weaknesses, like, in the midst of their struggles mm-hmm. or whatever, that they aren't, like, withholding anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember that really impacted me, but at the same time, I didn't know how to deal with it, though, either, because mm. sometimes, a lot of times, the very thing that you're just like, wow, um, this is different, but at the same time, you almost want to reject initially the very thing that you should be embracing mm. because you're just like, well, I'm like, I'm curious about it, but what if it's not? Like, because especially like the way even he loved his family and everything, it was just like he seemed to so authentically love his family that it almost seemed too good to be true. And when something seems too good to be true, you almost try to rule it off as it has to be, has to be then too good to be it true. It usually is. Yes, exactly. But, um... All of a sudden, like, now fast forward, like, I finally got into a life group and everything. Pastor Sean was the one that convinced me to do it. And I got into, like, with a great group of people, like, a great group of students of mine. And, like, a lot of them are still friends of mine to this day. But, like, I still struggle with so much social anxiety to where I was always quiet. I was always silent. I did not say much or whatever for the longest period of time. And then fast forward even a little later. Also, now we get into uh, July of 2010 is when I started volunteering in children's ministry first through third grade and I started off volunteering like setting up chairs that was my first like responsibility was fixing those chairs let me tell you something when you have children 
I mean, forgetting with children, dislike chairs in general, but especially <laughs> with children coupled with that, it is actually really annoying <laughs> sometimes because you're just like, it, you always, it's, it's a never ending process. It's just like when I used to be at Walmart, like, it, like we're always like getting a car, so you know, people are always shopping. Mm-hmm. Guess one weekends, people are always messing up chairs because <laughs> they are not bolted to the ground. <laughs> but, um,. I realized that, like, the person that was there at the time, like, he was someone I actually started to look up to um, for six whole months, and then all of a sudden, something bad ended up happening during this process of time that he ended up having to, like, he decided to step down, and all of a sudden, for reasons that don't need to be discussed, but um, it had nothing to do, like, with, like, children or anything like that, he just, like, he had to step down, but it was, like, so, like, out of nowhere, it was just, like, sudden. Crushed, like, a number of us, but especially for me, who was just now really starting to grow in my faith, mm-hmm. it was now just ready to take over our life group for third grade boys, I literally just felt, like, a lot of weight and a lot of pressure of just, like, I mean, I didn't, like, express my emotions in public, I tried to withhold it, but when I was in private, I was, like, bawling, almost, because at this point, I was still 16 years old, and I was just, like... Like, this happened in a period of six months, and now, as I'm really starting to get somewhere, I felt like withdrawing, because I felt like I saw something that was authentic, and all of a sudden to see it, like, torn away from you like that, it starts to make you question, is this actually worth it, or mm-hmm. should I even keep going? And I remember, like, the next person that came in, um, which was Pastor Abriel Ar- um, Arnell, which is her last name now, because now she's married. Crazy, right? But all of a sudden, um, I remember when she came, like, she was, like, honestly, like, one of the best people, like, I honestly, to this day, still have known, like, who is very authentic and wise behind her, her years. However, though, one thing I realized, and this happens to people in life a lot of times, is so much, like, where when you have one person or one thing or one circumstance in one season, that even though something better may come along, you almost are so resistant to it because you're afraid of something bad happening again. Mm. And, like, she did the best that she could, but it actually probably took me, like, six whole months to warm up to her before I finally was like, okay, this is actually going to work. What kept me going was actually when I talked uh, to the pastor at the time after he had uh, dropped out, like, we only had two conversations, and this was actually the one thing that kept me going. He said, basically, essentially... I know you're disappointed, and it's okay, but maybe she can teach you some things that I was never going to be able to teach you. And that was actually the only thing, just that one sentence that kept me going. Sometimes that's all it takes. It doesn't take, like, you know, a whole, like, speech or 45-minute speech to, like, keep people going. Sometimes it only takes one phrase, one sentence, one moment to change a life, to change someone's life. Um, like actually even in the Bible and Proverbs, it talks about saying, you know, there's a time and a season for everything, but it also talks about there is a right time to say something or to do something. And that Mm. was like that moment that kept me going Mm. in that. So, and that was a very challenging process to know, okay, I can't simply live my life according to other people's standards, but according to what I know I need to do in the here and now. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So at that point, you were 16 or 17? 16, yes. 16. and you. Well, yeah, 16, yeah. 16. And you just got a new uh, lead pastor? Yes. Right? Um, were you, was she able to teach you things that he never could? Oh, Did yes. You, could, were you able to see that as a blessing? Oh, yes. I mean, here's the thing now. To be clear, whether he could have or not taught me like the same things, hypothetically speaking, yeah. you know... We always, like, view consequences 
in a negative context, but consequences in this by pure definition is just simply a set of standards that you choose to make. It's a choice you make for better or for worse. Like when you marry someone, there's a consequence for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, there's a consequence. So for him, even though I don't believe that God wanted that to happen, but he for sure allowed it because at the end of the day, like the part of God's character is that at the core of it is that God is love and that, and to be love or to be loved means love can't be forced upon you. You can say the words, I love you, but it can't ever be forced upon you. You can't make someone do it. So for him, whether he knew like his decisions was right or not, or he thought it was morally justifiable or not, he still made that choice. He was having to think, okay, this could drastically shift us in a healthy or unhealthy direction. So ultimately, God was going to use that either way. Um, I like how in the Old Testament he talks about, he said that he turned a curse into a blessing. Mm -hmm. So hopefully in his life, hopefully he turned a curse into a blessing a different way. Obviously, like it did for me, it was a curse turned into a blessing for a different reason. Um, As far as what she taught me, honestly, I would say one of the biggest things she taught me was this loving people with such a heart and such a passion for others that it just naturally rubbed off on you that you couldn't help but want to do the same. Hmm. Like, that would say that's the biggest thing because ultimately, you know how God's Word says, He says, they will know you are my disciples. They will know that you are Christians by your love for each other. And she definitely succeeded at that tremendously because that's how, like, you let Christ show in and through your life. It's not just simply about what you speak. It's the way you live. That's good. Yeah. So we last time we spoke... We, we had a brief conversation, and I said something, and I don't remember what it was. But I remember, things, yes. <laughs> I remember you chuckled, and you said, you're like, uh, you wouldn't recognize me two years ago. Yes. You know, you're like, I'm a completely new person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you're 26 now, so two years ago would have been 24. Mm-hmm. And at this point, when you're starting to serve Christ and really get into to service, yeah. was 16, around 16, 17. So that's 16 to 24. That's eight years of, of spiritual growth and until, you know, I think you've really seen a transformation in the last two years. Yeah. So maybe talk about those eight years and, and what that looked like. And then two years ago, what allowed you or what, what came out of you that said, I need to change? And what did that look like? Yes, that's a great question. Um, well, so like, as I said earlier, I mean, like, even though I've been like a Christian since I was eight, started growing when I was 16, but I had like moments of growth and stunts and all that kind of stuff until like the past two years. So, um, it was actually three things, uh, two or three things that really changed that actually started to affect the outcome of my obedience and the way I was living. Uh, one was that is what I told you is that like how you hear the phrase, you're the average of your five closest friends or show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Now, part of that, that it is very true and very important to know. However, I didn't know who I was really becoming, even though I knew at the age of 16 um, or 17 that, like, God was calling me, hey, I'm going to call you to be a pastor. This is what I want you to do. Like, this is why I plan for you. However, though, even then, and even still now, technically, it's like, you don't really fully know what that's going to look <laughs> yeah. like. Like, even if he says to you, like, hey, you're going to be a lead pastor even at that, even if he were to give you those specific words, you have no idea what all is going to be entailed into that. He doesn't tell you the when necessarily. He's not really going to tell you like what you're going to be in between those points. He's not going to tell you where you're going to be in the middle. 
of all that. So I was really struggling trying to figure out my identity and who I was because I wasn't really comfortable with myself, honestly. So um, to bring in like with a story with this is that when I actually started going on the platform in children's ministry, whether it was to lead games or whatever by myself or with another person or co-hosting a message with like, you know, someone else, I always, after every single service, Austin, I always asked everyone all the time, or at least those I like valued, like, Hey, how do you think I'm doing? Was it better this time? And like, obviously at Christ Fellowship, you have like three, four, five services. I mean, you have Saturday and Sunday services and like, I was just asking all the time after every service, like to the point like sometimes it would actually get annoyed by it. It's like, it's like, why are you asking so much? It's like, you're doing okay. But like, I felt so insecure with myself that I felt the need to be validated by other people instead of actually going to the source of my supply, who was God himself. I struggle with that in the sense of, you know, are you asking because... You, you want validation from others or are you asking because you really care how you're doing and you really want to do the best you can and improve as much as you can, you know? You okay? <coughs> Boy, I went down the wrong too. Okay. Repeat that. <laughs> no, you're saying that you were, you were like seeking out others' validation yes. after you spoke. You would ask them how you, how you did, you know? Mm. And I think there's, it's good and bad. Bad in the sense of you're looking for that validation. Yeah. But good in the sense of you actually care how you're doing and you actually want to do the best you can and improve. Yeah. Right? So what do you – just a side note, then I want you to continue on your story. Do you think it was more of a validation to, to feel, that, like, feel that insecurity in you? Or are you just trying to do the best you can and you understand that you're growing and um, you would like that input? You know. So sometimes I would say it can be not simply a one or it can be a both and. Yeah. I'm not saying there was <clears throat> I'm not saying there wasn't a part of me, excuse me, that didn't want to genuinely grow. There was. However though, the part of me that genuinely wanted to grow was much lower than my ability to just simply please people. That was the key difference. So actually in the book of Proverbs he says a person is tested when he is being praised is that it's saying the idea that what if people don't approve of you? What if they don't? Because sometimes people will inwardly admire you even if they outwardly reject you. And you need to be able to distinguish the difference of, like, is what I'm doing actually right? And people are just, for whatever reason, against me, whether it's something emotional or spiritual or maybe something from their past. Because sometimes people can actually end up disliking you just for the very fact you're doing the right thing. Mm. That's why even when you look at um, Joseph in the Old Testament or whatever... Like when you and I, we were talking about him being pure, how when he did the right thing, he actually got put in the prison. And a lot of times in our Americanized society, we tend to think, oh, if I just do the right thing at the right times, good things will come about. And sometimes it does. And obviously, we praise God through those times. We're like, yes, thank you, Jesus. This is good. But then also, but when the times don't do that, and yeah. sometimes it seems to be going in the opposite direction, is when your praise is tested. So I like to, um, let me forward it with another story uh, that will connect back to the story I was originally telling with the children's ministry is that I remember one time, this was a, a year in roughly to when I started to change. And I actually, I had made a commitment to myself or like God had wanted me to do it, whether maybe it was God. Sometimes that's all you have to go off of is maybe it's God. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's kind of like, okay, this is what I need to do. 
And that's the key thing for people to know. And actually, that's something that's really can help people in their spiritual growth is that when you're questioning, is this God or is it just me? If it doesn't go against the word of God, then if even if you, all you have to go off of is a maybe, then you probably should do it, yeah, that's good. honestly. So I would remember one time, like as a young adults group at downtown West Palm Beach campus, formerly called City Place Campus, we, um, I remember one time we were out like at a restaurant or whatever, and all of a sudden, like one of my good friends or whatever, um, I was thinking, oh, you know what? I'm like, let me ask him how he thinks I've been doing, because time has passed. It's been like about a year. I'm like, I should be able to ask it now because at this point I had not asked anyone for this entire year how I've been doing on anything. Because sometimes you have to force yourself to go into an opposite extreme for a limited season so that way then you can force yourself out of that old pattern and way of life. So that's what I was really having to do. I wasn't not asking people because I was being cocky. It was quite the opposite. I was actually having to actually encourage myself and towards a healthy pattern in my spiritual walk and being comfortable with who I am. But at this point, I was like, okay, it's been a year. I can ask now. And also, I was like, hey, man, it's like, I want to ask you a question. And like, right when he's ready to turn to me, this other person t- like turns around and like disrupts him from me. I'm just like, rude, I'll pray for you. But anyway, so, <laughs> name of Jesus. But all of a sudden, I this was actually one of the first times, Austin, that I all of a sudden like had this like god thought that was like this has to be god because this was so not me like you have those moments you're just like this cannot be me at all because i had no problem with think do thinking or doing this but also like something just like it held you up like it was almost like a wall like all of a sudden i had this thought he says do not ask him how you think you're doing and i was just like okay and then like the thought continued he was like don't try to seek validation and approval from our people when really all you need it is from me. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then I was like, yes, master. Yes, 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 master Jesus. <laughs> so, so wise and humble. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, though, he said, ended this last thought to me. He says, just because your progress isn't obvious doesn't mean your progress isn't working. Hmm. And that's really difficult. And actually, eventually, that's going to be like a sermon series or a sermon of mine, like someday in the future I'm prophesying now over my life. It's going to be called Hidden Pains, Hidden Progress. Uh. Because so often, uh, out of your deepest um, pains can come your greatest um, progress a lot of times. Out of your greatest progress, like, it's coming through your deepest pain. But a lot of times, that's where so many of us are held up in our Christian life is because of that. So anyways, now, all of a sudden, being a good friend of he is, or so it seems... He also actually remembers, instead of actually totally forgetting, he was like, hey, man, where are you going to ask me? And I was just like, I'm like, it's good, man. It's good. And all of a sudden, he asked the second time. He was like, he's like, no, for real. What were you going to ask me? I was like, it's no, man. I'm like, it's all good. And all of a sudden, he says it a third time. Which, by this point, I'm like, okay, I'm not sure if this is like the devil I work with him or if this is like a genuine humility from the pure spirit of his heart that's asking this question. But all of a sudden, I finally like just blurted it out. I was just like... Okay, God told, I was going to ask you a question about how I was doing, but God told me that I don't need your approval to affirm what he's already, like, spoken to me over my life. And, like, for a moment, he just, like, totally, like, almost, like, seemed, like, shocked and paused. And I was just like, well, dang. <laughs> <laughs> so, but out of that, um, I, I can't, unfortunately, give it right now. I just don't feel like it's the right season. But, like, all of a sudden, like, in that moment, he also said, wow. He says, I usually don't have this, but I feel like God wanted me to give a word to you. Uh, to speak over your life. 
and he did uh, later on after we left. But it was kind of amazing, though, how God will even use your weaknesses and still bring about a blessing, not necessarily because of it, but in spite of it. Mm. So now going back to the initial story with the children's ministry is that I realized that I was trying to seek perfection instead of seeking progress. And those are two totally different things. Like how we were talking about excellence and uh, perfection. Excellence says, I'm going to be my best, do my best, and let God take care of the rest. Whereas perfection says, if I do something wrong, then I'm just simply a failure. And it's important to connect, to connect that distinction. And when it comes about being your best and doing your best, like some people say doing your best and letting God take care of the rest, but they never think of adding the word being your best. Because it's possible for you to be doing your best and not being your best because it all involves an attitude of your heart. So that's why in the New Testament on the aspect of giving, where all of a sudden you see God saying, he says, don't give reluctantly or out of compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's saying you can actually be demonstrating the right actions, but your heart is just not it, bro. Like, it's just like you, you got some work to do, son mm-hmm. or daughter. Like you got some stuff you need to work on. Now, even in that, though, now it gets even trickier. Let's, like, even dig down, like, an hour later. God can be the worst to speak on this. Um, all of a sudden, like, it's a difference between now being your best and feeling it. I can still be being my best and not necessarily always feeling it. It's more in the perspective of which I view it that makes it about me being my best. So, for example, an example I've always liked um, hearing about before is that, you know, you could be married all of a sudden to your wife and also, you know, you could be waking up one morning and have the most amazing feelings ever and just be like, yes, I absolutely love my wife. This is amazing. This is great. It's nothing better. And obviously those are the feelings you want. Like, and those are good feelings to have and I hope you should have them. If you don't have them, that might be a problem. But however, though, what about the days when you don't have them? What about the days when you're actually you're not feeling it and you actually just kind of feel like, eh, okay, here's my wife. Like, it's actually, you know, a lot of times we tend to think that if I don't feel it, that means I don't love that person or this circumstance or this individual or whatever. But actually, God will a lot of times allow you to be not feeling it at all points of time in the way you would like to. So that way then you could demonstrate greater love towards that person because you're saying, hey, in spite of how I feel, I'm actually going to do the right thing because love is about more than a, a feeling. It's a decision. Faith is more than a feeling. It's a decision. Confidence is more than a feeling. It's a decision. So when I was in children's ministry, I all of a sudden, like when we have like numerous services or whatever, like instead of actually doing better after each service, Austin, I actually, a lot of times actually ended up not doing as good. I actually like kept not doing as well more often than not, because I put so much pressure on myself to perform to perfection that I ended up having so much anxiety in the process that I ended up lacking peace in my soul just to simply give it my best because I ended up trying to care more about the performance of what our people thought instead of actually realizing, okay, I'm like, you know, like whether I say something that's stupid or it sounds stupid or maybe I'm just being too smart and they don't realize it yet. I'm like, either way, which are, I prefer the latter. <laughs> but that God will even use that. So sometimes it's about, it's letting go of like my expectation of it and just simply say, hey, look, you know what? If I'm going to fail, let me fail forward because that's the best I can do. That's great. That's freaking good, man. So 
So you, you had this revelation, or that was the time when you're speaking to children's ministry, like progress over perfection, mm-hmm. right? And I think we could all use that. Yeah. Uh, so, so how long were you in the children's ministry? And did that when you were, you were 24, when mm-hmm. you started to do consistent growth? And that's what I'm really interested about is like, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, it, when you want to grow, Mm-hmm. You can't be comfortable. You can't be comfortable yeah. and grow at the same time, mm-hmm. you know. But then there's other there's there's this other aspect of like um, God will give you peace through, yeah. through all times, you know. So when you're not feeling peace, it's almost like I'm not. Am I doing the right thing? Am I do, not doing the right thing? Or when you're uncomfortable, you want to seek comfort, but you also want to grow. Yeah, you know. How can we distinguish those? And I think we all want to grow into the best human that we can. Um, so how can we? Balance, balance the two. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that is a very great question. Cause I feel like that's something you tend to see differences off of that from like individuals that you talk to and also pastors or whatever. It's almost like, um, it's almost like when someone asks a question or makes a statement saying, yeah, just like work hard and then you'll get somewhere. And then you see some people that are actually working hard and you see them not getting anywhere. Or you see some people saying, follow your passions and then you actually do. And it seems to actually not be, as well yeah. as you thought it was for whatever reason and you see and you see like smart people even it's not like you know you see okay here's the wise people and here's the dumb people saying it sometimes you see wise people saying the exact same thing but yet almost are both saying of each other not to each other but of those statements that those two wise people say almost come to two totally different conclusions and you're just like well what the heck mm. how am I supposed to figure I want peace this out? I'm trying to grow right, right, right. <laughs> it's like okay it's like you're like okay and, and especially in the Christian faith I mean a lot of times we just always talk about like you know we get cliches of like oh it's like trust God and you'll be good you'll be fine and like you know as long as you have peace about it it'll work out and here's the thing all that interestingly enough Austin here's what I found out sometimes you could be saying something that's truthful but not helpful hmm. and a lot of times uh, and usually it's like people that are truth tellers that tend to have a hard time distinguishing that it's just like ah it's the truth this is good <laughs> it's like um but like I remember, um, this is too good of a quote not to like mention who it is. But I remember Pastor Chris Hodges. He said uh, something like this. He said, "Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But truth and grace together is like medicine. Like it is like he's like, hey, this is good for your soul. So like good. this is what you need. Yeah. Like, and that's because that's part of God's character. He says, I am a God of truth." and grace he's like i cannot separate myself from who i am like i may not understand why god does everything the way he does i may think god is crazy sometimes like whether we want to be or not i'll say it for people like you know you think god's crazy sometimes but sometimes you're just like oh my gosh what do you think if i say this like joker he already does you might also say he's a big boy he can handle it mm-hmm. and so i'll say but yeah you're caught in this gap in a way it's like am i supposed to feel peace because that's what some people are telling me they're close to me and care about me. But then also hear the opposite. It's like, oh, well, you know what? You're not supposed to feel peace because guess what? You know, God says troubles will come. And you know, and to expect it. And you're supposed to have joy in the troubles. And you're just like, okay. So here's what I will say on that to your question is that I believe it's actually truly can't be a both and. Is that like I mentioned earlier, there's a time and a season for everything. He says, hey, there's a time to plant and there's a time to tear down. There's a time to live and a time to die. There's a time to, you know, um, grow a plant and there's a time to take down a plant. There's just a time and a season for everything. Um, but one thing I've realized is that there have been moments in my life where I've been in absolute peace about a situation. I'm like, this is absolutely the right thing to do. And there's other things 
that scare the crap out of my mind. I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm like, am I crazy? I actually probably am. <laughs> but here's actually what I found out. So I guess to connect to it, it's my story about how I've grown. This is actually one of the top two or three things I would say that not only prevent me from growing much faster, or like, and also this like stop being my growth, but this affects a lot of our people whether they realize it or not, is that fear will tell you two things about yourself. Is that one, the fact you fear about it means you care about it. Because if you didn't fear it, that means you probably don't care about it. So for example, I mean, if you have like a child or something, he's ready to go on the street, you're, I hope your natural reaction is that you're probably gonna be fearful for that child's life if you went on a highway. That's a naturally healthy response to fear. Cause you're like, no, you may not realize it, but you may not live to see the light of day again on this side of life if you don't get out of there. But um, I like to think about it like this, you know, like um, I like listening to Will Smith or whatever because he has like a lot of wisdom that he plants on people's minds. And he said one time, you know, he says when you're going on a helicopter or whatever and you're ready to do skydiving and he says, and you are scared out of your mind to try to do anything like that. But the thing is, though, interesting about it is that the fact that, like, you fear dropping means it's because you actually want to live. And as part of says, I may not live through this situation. This may actually kill me because I'm falling 20,000 feet above the air. What am I doing right now? But uh, the second aspect of it is that the fact you fear means you care. But the second thing is, is that a lot of times the fact that you fear it actually maybe is a, the biggest sign you can get that you actually need to try to work through that especially in your spiritual life because oftentimes the thing that we resist the most is the thing we need to embrace the most and the reason why we avoid it is because we hate pain so much because this is a natural response it's like you know when we get spanked or whatever you don't like that feeling because it's uncomfortable there's discomfort in that and so we always equate pain with punishment but we never equate pain with purpose that maybe on the other side of this there can be um, a better purpose in this. So to connect it like this, I like using this analogy, is that, you know, when I, um, when I initially about six months ago, I finally got consistently working out. Hmm. Um, all of a sudden, like, I, I talked to my second dad or whatever, like, I say my second dad because he's like my second dad. Um, and he's, like, really fit. So, you know, what better person to ask than someone who's fit, you know, about how to work out? It's probably the wisest thing I could do. So anyways, excuse me. And all of a sudden, like, he, like, had shown me how to do some weights and everything. I mean, he was showing me the reps and, like, you know, like, sets and all that. And I noticed he kept saying something over and over that I found interesting, like, occasionally. He kept saying, occasionally, like, he kept saying, go to failure. Hmm. Go to failure. Go to failure. And obviously, sometimes when someone says something over and over and over, a lot of times that means they're really trying to get something across to you that you may just ignore the first time or treat as irrelevant. So I was just like, okay, go to failure interesting but okay and so later in the week when i finally went to work out like all of a sudden like i mean i was working out i'm like okay i'm gonna do exactly what he says and i was doing it and all of a sudden when i went to the point of failure for a split moment i was just like oh gosh i failed and also i was like wait a second that's what i was supposed to do Ah. (laughs) and so so often the reason why sometimes you actually in order to get to peace you have to go through the pain in order to receive that peace that's the key but that's the most thing we always want to avoid. And a lot of times we think we're at peace, but we're really not. Because sometimes we get so comfortable in our own deficiencies that we end up disregarding the pain that we're currently experiencing um, and we treat it as something normal. 
So almost like how you see in the New Testament, when all of a sudden God, uh, Jesus all of a sudden asked the uh, lame man, he's like, hey, he says, do you want to get well? And it seems like, okay, Jesus is like, well, what do you think? <laughs> do you want to experience this? <laughs> but sometimes, though, we can almost like get comfortable almost in that, that we almost maybe end up thinking that, okay, well, I've been like this my whole entire life. How could this ever change? Like, I, it's been like this, and it's always been like this, and doctors can't help me. Prayer hasn't helped me. Money hasn't helped me. I'm simply stuck. And yet, all of a sudden, but yet, God was like, hey, look, he's like, there is a better way, and that is through me. Because it's like, God didn't just simply, you know, die on the cross, a sinner's cross, so we could simply go to heaven, which is part of it. But yet, he also died so we can live in the here and now, have heaven here on earth. And I don't mean that in a prosperity gospel type of way, because I totally reject that idea. But it's the idea that there is blessings that God provides on this life, not only for you, but also for other people. But a lot of times it requires you getting through the pain. And so anyways, with the workout is that I realized something, and I'm not mentioning about the workout to show off my aesthetic ability and everything like that, you know, to brag about myself. I'm bringing it to a spiritual point is that I realized that when you're being stretched is when you're being strengthened. It's when you become sore that then I realized I realized I could become strong. Hmm. And that's the part that's really difficult. That's the thing. Why do you, that's why most people don't work out. A lot of times we talk about, think about it like this. Um, I just thought it's this now. Um, is that sometimes though, even when we try to work on our pain, because sometimes you can really know you're struggling with the pain, but yeah, you know, in order to get out of that pain to greater peace will require, require you to actually get into much deeper pain than what you're currently experiencing, which is so often the reason why I resist it. And that's why I did it for so many years, because I knew to overcome it, I was going to have to really be disappointed hmm. for an extended period of time that I had no idea. Like now, if you're given a finite limit to say, hey, if you do this for a year, then you'll be there. Then it'd be like a little easier or five years. You'd just be okay. I know what I need to do now. And this is how long it's going to take. But yet when you have this time of like, it could be a month, it could be a year, it could be 10 years. And you just have no idea that can be really come greatly discouraging yeah. in that. Um, but when I was thinking about, you know, when people make new year's resolutions and all of a sudden people all of a sudden start filling up the gym and also they start working out like crazy. I remember hearing a story one time about this guy. He says he was going to the gym and all of a sudden he says the parking lot was just completely full. There was not a single parking spot left. And also he went like driving around for 15 minutes before he found a parking spot. And he finally got in and he got mad at the guy at the desk. He's like, obviously like he had a problem, like, issue with the parking lot being full. He's like, you guys need to like get more parking spots or something. And the guy that's mad at him is just like, Come back in a couple weeks. Yeah, they'll be gone in a month. Yeah, they'll be gone. <laughs> and, but so often think about it, is that we like the idea of working out, but when it comes to actually getting sore and working out, we always give up. Um, and that's why when you see in the New Testament, where all of a sudden he says, you know, when, like he says, you'll receive, you will receive a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. And you notice how he was actually giving a promise. He says, you will receive it. He says, you will receive a harvest. But the fact that there's a harvest means that there was a seed that's underground. And that's why when all of a sudden you see in the New Testament too, when he was talking about a barn, he says a seed being in the barn is that, you know, it's being planted right now. It may be invisible, but it doesn't mean just because it seems insignificant doesn't mean that it's not important. 
sometimes the things that seem the most insignificant, the things that seem the most hidden, is actually the very things you need to work on the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I said about hidden pains, hidden progress. Yeah, that's so good. Sometimes it's not really about, sometimes you'll have peace in it, and other times you'll have pain, but it doesn't mean that will last, but you have to be willing to get through that pain in order to actually receive the greater promise. Yeah, it's so good. And, you know, there's there's not a question that we all want to live our best life, that we all want to grow and, yeah. and you know, um, but it's hard to have that endurance and that stamina to continue to consistently go day after day and do what you know you need to do, yeah. regardless of how you're feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're speaking, there's a verse in Hebrews that says, for you, for you have need of endurance so that after you are done, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise, right? Yeah. So you have to have the endurance to continue to go and do the things you know you need to do, regardless of the pain or the progress that you may or may not see. Mm-hmm. A couple different versions of fear, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring this into the conversation and yeah. get your two cents on it. <clears throat> so I see like three different types of fear, mm-hmm. right? One, fear of circumstances. And, you know, what I think when I hear that is like, scared of life itself scared of tomorrow scared of the unknown yeah right and then we have the fear of people which we kind of talked about that is like judgment from others you know when you're people pleasing and you're scared what they're going to think of you and then there's like fear of yourself which Mm. is like feeling inadequacy or unworthiness or you know you have that lack of self you know you're not really centered in who you are yourself yeah yeah absolutely so i can relate to all of those (laughs) You I know? can too, yes. <laughs> so We're I think, in this together, yes. Yeah, and I... I Miserable as company, as the saying goes, you know, why not experience this together? <laughs> well, it is. It is uh, universal. Yeah. You know, it's not It's not like I have it and you don't, or he has it and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. I think all of us experience this to a certain degree. Yeah. And now it's up to us as humans to develop the tools and the skills and the, the knowledge to have that sound mind and be able to to cope and deal with these things, you know, and not let it cloud our judgment or our decision-making. Yeah. You know? So you're a very um, peaceful man and you're very vulnerable. And, and when we do talk, you're you're always opening, like open with your struggles. But then mm-hmm. it's funny because I, I watch you and I hear you speak and it seems quite the contrary, right? You have that sense of peace and that mm-hmm. confidence in you. Um so I think one thing that I'm working on in my season is my confidence mm-hmm. and and also developing like a strong sense of self. Yeah. You know, and we've talked about that and for the last 2 years you've been working on that and I love the growth that you've shown. Um so I guess I'll ask this on a personal level and you can mm-hmm. speak to me directly. Okay. Like what are what are some things that you would advise to to grow in your confidence, grow in your, you know, sense of self and continue, you know, making that progress, even when you don't see it or not. But what are, you know, what are those actionary steps? You know, we say surrender. You have to surrender to the will of God. Right, but then what does that look like in practice? Then there's also taking action. Yes. In in a practical sense, what does that look like, right? Okay, well, so let's see. I would say a few things is that one... Um, and the reason why I mentioned this earlier, because it was important, is that confidence is not simply a feeling, it's a decision. So like me, like as we're talking right now, like ironically, even though we're talking about peace and fear and all that, I was actually still a little anxious in the process of actually being here, having this convo with you. However, though, like I, the difference is, is that are you simply having the symptom of fear or are you allowing the fear to take over you? Mm. 
that's a key aspect. You know, it's just like when you ask someone out on a date. Like, if you're ever going to wait until, you know, until you have absolutely no fear whatsoever in your life before you do something, well, gosh, you're probably going to have a pretty sucky life because you're probably almost never going to have the feeling of not having any sort of fear whatsoever. It's more about almost like having faith and doubt. It's like faith is not mm-hmm. the absence of doubt. It's just a means to overcome it. So almost it connected like this, you know, like how we talked about um, recently about with the Apostle Peter, where all of a sudden, you know, when like they saw like Jesus or they wasn't sure at first it was Jesus, first they thought like it's a ghost or something, like as if they seen ghosts before. But um, maybe they seen something I didn't, I don't know. But all of a sudden they were questioning like, okay, I don't know who this is because who the heck can walk on water? It's like, uh. that's a little, it's a little cray cray in my opinion. It's like, John, what'd you put in this drink that we had here earlier? Um, <laughs> do, you, do you ever question what, what happened? Am I going insane? And all of a sudden, um, you think all of a sudden when Peter all of a sudden said, he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. And the thing is, a lot of people tend to overlook that. They tend to think he just simply had faith until he started sinking. But yet he still had his doubts prior to that. That's why all of a sudden he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. He was expressing doubt, but he allowed his faith to actually overcome that doubt. And all of a sudden, when now someone says, um, like, oh, well, I think that, um, you know, Peter was being Peter, you know, and he's just like, you know, being a bold individual. It's like, okay, fine, let's go sooner than that. Let's go when Jesus first met him, like when he first like was calling him out. And all of a sudden, you know, Peter being a fisherman, you know, fishermen, obviously, by trade, they know how to fish. You know, that's their job. That's what they know how to do. So it's like if someone comes up to you and tries to tell you what to do with your own job that you get paid to do, it's going to be kind of like, seriously, dude? It's like, back off. <laughs> it's like, kind of like, you know, that feeling, you know, that tension. You don't say it, but you're really you're thinking it. It's like, this dude is questioning me. I hate this so much. Um, but all of a sudden, when Jesus is like, hey, he says, cast your net on the other side. And then all of a sudden, Peter says, but Lord... We have already done that. And by the way, notice he was showing respect at the very beginning because he still called him Lord. He says, but Lord, we have already done that. But since you asked me to, I will do it. So feeling is more than, um, confidence is more than simply a feeling. Like even now, like even like during the time of like growth and everything, I know I still got like some stuff to work on as far as my confidence and my peace. I'm still working through it, but some things will simply take time. But I realized that, um, you know, like even when I started changing like how I dress and everything and like me working out, like I realized actually at one point my my external confidence was starting to exceed my internal confidence as far as what I was projecting. And the reason for that now that while they were both increasing, but one was increasing a little further up than the other. And I started to realize the reason for that was is that I was almost basing more my confidence and like how I looked and yes, it did help build actually internal confidence because when you know you look good or feel good, then you actually do start increasing a little bit of confidence. But how are those very limited? It's still limited in its result. Being confident with yourself is about knowing who you are and knowing who you are becoming and being comfortable with that in spite of what others think. That's a lot of times where the confidence factor comes in. Um, one of the things I love is that this is too good not to say who it's wrong, but I love how Pastor Stephen Furtick said it like this one time. He said, don't fear failure, fear facelessness. Hmm. Don't fear attack, fear apathy. But this last one was one that really got to me hard. He said, don't fear rejection, fear regret. And that just like, that one right there can really help someone's confidence out because that jabbed me hard because it was just like, 
because I had for so long in my own life, I had always feared rejection, but instead all I ended up having was regret. And that tears your confidence down too a lot because here's why. Rejection can last for a time, but regret can last for a lifetime because you realize I can't change it. So also I remember one time I was talking to a student of mine one time uh, a few years ago and he was talking about doing something for a summer and like all of a sudden he was expressing like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do it. He's like, um, like I'm thinking about it, but you know, I just like, I don't know if I should. And I was just like, I'm like, well, excuse me. And by this point, I actually had just pretty much started on my own confidence by this point. Like I was actually at the very beginning stages of this, but I at least knew enough at this point to help this student out that was obviously needing some wisdom, my limited amount of wisdom I had on confidence <laughs> at the time. But um, all of a sudden, I just simply asked him the question. I was like, let me ask you something. I was like, if you don't do this, what will you be thinking then? And he says, well, I'll be wondering if I would have done well. Hmm. And I was like, so you'll end up with a bunch of regret if you don't do this. I said, but if you do do it, even if you fail, the thing is, as long as you can say, hey, look, I did my best, I gave my all, and even though, even if I fail this, as long as I fail forward, that's all that matters. And that was just the push he needed, and he was like, you know what? You're right. It's like, I'll do it. Because um, I realized that sometimes, like, you know how Jesus, a lot of times he asked, like, he gave parables, like, he would... Um, you know, Jesus was the boss. He was just like, you know, he had a way of like speaking to people in such a way that it would resonate with them. But sometimes instead of um, making statements or whatever, sometimes the best thing he did was to actually ask him a question. And sometimes the very question that they were asking, just by asking a question in return, they would give the, be given the answer that they already knew that they needed. Right, that's good. So, and I think one of the things that really helped too is that one thing I realized is that with my confidence or just anything in life is that, the question isn't never, do I need to depend on God? But is what I am about to do going to bring glory to God? Because when all of a sudden I shift my focus, when I shift that perspective, it could change everything. Now, this brings me to my, um, my second or third main point, is that with the confidence, is that you need to know who you follow. Because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, like, when I told you, I was like, you know... Um, Billy Graham's like my role model, you know, Sean Blakeney is my pastor because he was my student pastor and he was my young adult pastor. So he was the one that really helped like, you know, stir up something inside of me. Excuse me. And it's the Ophirix, my dog. Like, you know, that's like, that's the order for me. Obviously everyone else, it could be completely different and that's okay. But however though, I saw something in them that was just like, okay, this is something I desire in such a way, not necessarily something with what they do, but it's how they live. Mm -hmm. And all three of them were always very confident. Like, so this is actually something, uh, one time I was working and I had Moody Radio on, which I usually don't do. Um, I usually just listen to music. But all of a sudden I heard uh, Pastor uh, Greg Lor, um, how you pronounce his last name? Greg Laurie, forgive me, um, on. And all of a sudden he was talking about one time he had experience with Billy Graham. And he says, and Billy Graham was in the back seat. Uh, Pastor Greg was in the passenger seat. And all of a sudden, I remember all of a sudden, like, after, like, a, a tent, like, you know, revival meeting or whatever, like, you know, crusade, and all of a sudden, he, like, turned around at him and says, hey, I just want to let you know, like, that was, that was good. And, like, Billy Graham just says, thanks. And then Pastor Greg just turns around, and he's just like, it's like, okay, 
It's like, well, apparently that didn't work as well as I wanted to. Maybe I need to be a little bit more, um, you know, forceful with my compliment. And I was like, he's like, he, so he turns around again. He's like, no, man. He's like, for real. Like, that was a really, really good message. And all of a sudden, Billy Graham just retorted. He says, it's the truth. <laughs> now, I won't get into the discussion of whether Billy Graham, like, handled it, you know, in the kindest way yeah. possible. Truth and but, grace, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, truth and grace, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it wasn't as graceful as he could have been. But however, though, he, that just really struck me really hard because it gave me the realization of he was so confident with who he was in Christ that he did not need other people's validation to confirm what God had already has said about him or told him to do. Basically, he was like, hey, look, guys, I'm like, I ain't doing this for you. I'm not doing it for the right. praise of you. Right. I'm doing this for God. And all of a sudden, um, let me see right here really quick, is that all of a sudden in the New Testament in John, you actually, um, I've actually never heard this verse actually you've ever mentioned to the best of my knowledge, but how actually some Pharisees or religious people believed in Jesus and who he was but never expressed it. Here's actually what it says um, in John chapter 12, verse 42 to 43. He says, They wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. And it was like, well, dang. It's like, so that's like, so that's what we're still kind of dealing with today, though. We're living between when you live by who others want you to be, you'll miss out on who God has called you to be because you'll always be struggling to figure out like when you try to live for others, like the truth is, I mean, think about it like this, Jesus himself, who was this perfect hundred percent man, hundred percent God, he was the perfect human being. And yet people still didn't like him. So all of a sudden we're thinking in our human form that somehow we have the audacity or the arrogance to think, I'll get everyone to like me. <laughs> this will be great guys like you'll you'll thank me later for this but all of a sudden you realize some people actually just don't like you and sometimes it really has nothing to do with you sometimes it has everything to do with them yeah. but sometimes we let it get in the way so much like you know I've heard it uh, said before you know you can have a hundred people compliment you and just have one person criticize you and you'll also just be so focused on that one critical person that you're like praying that God sends fire down from heaven uh-huh. on that person or something like the disciples did and guys like Guys, whenever I talk to you, it's like, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember this point. But, and I like how he says in the New Testament, he says, the evidence of a changed heart is someone who lives for the praise of God, not the praise of people. And I love how he says the word evidence of it. So it's like, if you ever see someone turning away, he says, well, where was their heart to begin with? Because a lot of times what you let in will eventually come out. Um... And I'll say this actually a story to connect back to with the pastors or whatever about the three of people I look up to with confidence. Is that remember one time, Jason? I, I always said Austin. I don't know why I said Jason. <laughs> I was thinking him. Yes, his name was Jason. You're Austin. <laughs> I haven't forgotten your name. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, he, um, like we were talking one time at like Panera Bread or whatever. We were just talking about ministry and life and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, like he kept once in a while saying, hey, like, like, maybe you should do this sometime. Like, maybe you should try, like, um, you know, going here and going there and trying this new thing out. And all of a sudden, like, shortly into it, he just saw something, like, lean back to the sea for a moment. And all of a sudden, he was just like, he's like, you know what? He's like, um, I started to realize something. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, where is this going? And all of a sudden, he's like, I've realized that anytime I said something to you, I've never seen you outwardly reject the idea of what I said. But I always see some resistance 
or fear of you actually wanting to go through with it. And essentially it was like, if you're actually going to get through this, you need to be able to have confidence in yourself. And a lot of it comes by knowing who you follow. Hmm. So that way then it rubs off on you. He said, because otherwise he was just like, hey, look, always if you don't, he's basically essentially like, you're going to miss out on a lot hmm. if you don't learn to overcome this because yeah. you'll always be living in fear of what other people think. And a lot of times it's not really the battle from without. Um, it's really the battle from within. Like I talked about, you know, how, um, you know, how we have the Holy Trinity, you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You also have a worldly tri- um, Trinity too. You have to have the devil, you have the world, and you have the flesh. And so when you look, actually, it's interesting uh, the examples I like to give is that you look at Joseph, he was primarily battling the world. I mean, for a lot of it anyways. Obviously, maybe at the beginning, he was like a little prideful. He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to rule over you. <laughs> it's great, right? <laughs> and you're all going to be kneeling before me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, so, but either way, his brothers obviously were still the ones that were just like, huh. It's like, yep, think again. Pit. It's like, so obviously, you thought you had bad, like, family problems. <laughs> um... But anyways, all of a sudden, like, you have that, and you have Job, who primarily was fighting the devil unbeknownst beknownst to himself that he was even doing that. I mean, to the point that, like, Larry, he said, like, hey, look, he says, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, but still I choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, that he still chose not to sin in spite of everything he had gone through. But then what's interesting is that when it comes to the flesh, even though I'm only giving one example of this, you look at King Saul... King Saul, his downfall was that he feared people too much. Hmm. And a lot of people don't look at this very closely enough. Like, actually, when you look at the entire book of 1 Samuel, about how it got from King Saul to King David, it was not really supposed to go that way. Like, we always tend to think King David was always just meant to be the king. However, because, like, we look at King David, and we're like, okay, yes, he was a man after God's own heart. He was always meant to be king. He was in the lineage of Christ. This is how it's supposed to be. And this is perfect. However, though, when you go towards the beginning, God had actually spoken to the prophet Samuel at that time and had told him, he says, if you do everything that I have commanded you, your kingdom will last forever. Hmm. So what he's saying is, is that King Saul would have actually been in the line of Christ and not David. But all of a sudden, um, and this is something actually I kind of um, regret saying or maybe... I would say maybe decided new information is that, you know, I remember one time in a life group, one time we had mentioned about which kind of pride is worse. It worse. Is it the pride of exaltation or is it the pride of like lowliness and like you thinking less of yourself? Like which one is worse? Is it thinking too much of yourself or taking too little of yourself? It's good. And initially, I mean, obviously, you know, we were all younger then, you know I mean? We were like in like, like 10th, 11th, 12th grade respectively. And like, you know, we're all giving our different thoughts and, I think pretty much all of us, at least I know I did, and I was saying, oh, pride of exaltation, because, you know, people can get, like, pissed off at you and everything, you know? Because if you have that kind of pride, people just don't want to be around you. And so, therefore, I was like, my conclusion was, well, this one has to be worse. Like, there is no way this cannot be the worst one. However, though, all of a sudden, like, when I realized in the story is that we tend to think maybe that King Saul struggled with exhortation, but it wasn't that one at all. It was actually quite the opposite. He actually struggled with the pride from within, of actually thinking less of himself. Here's how you can know is that when you look at 1 Samuel, also Samuel came to him at one point and basically was like, hey, look, he says, I know 
you don't think much of yourself. He's like, but don't you realize that you are king, that God had placed in this position at this point in time for a purpose? And all of a sudden, you just also see King Saul all of a sudden just like, he's just going on this very downhill path towards destruction. But what's interesting though, how we always tend to say delayed, uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. That is very true, but also partial obedience is also disobedience. We tend to say King Saul didn't listen. He didn't struggle with listening. He actually listened to every single word to the point he actually did most of the things that God had told him to do, but he always was held from the last 10%, 15% or wherever it is. And as you start to see it in this whole entire context of the scriptures, King Saul fell because he literally cared so much about what other people thought about him that he ended up allowing that to override his decision of what God had already spoken to him. So all of a sudden, like towards the end, we're all of a sudden like, you know, um, we see like, you know, Samuel was all of a sudden like ready to leave. And then King Saul like comes up to Samuel trying to get him to come with him. And all of a sudden his like rope tour. And all of a sudden Samuel says, this very day, the kingdom will be torn away from you. And what's interesting about it is all of a sudden King Saul was like, hey, like, forgive me. Like I did wrong. Yes, I admit it. I messed up. I'm sorry. And at first you're thinking, okay, he's going in a positive direction. He expressed his uh, problem. And like you're thinking for a moment, maybe he's going to find freedom because he expressed it. He verbally expressed it. Confessed. Confessed it. Yes, exactly. But all of a sudden it says Samuel reluctantly went with him to offer sacrifices. But then it said after that point, Samuel never went to see him ever again. And Samuel went away in such disappointment that literally God was having to kind of try to speak to him. I just want to sign all about that, that... He also then, like, he says the idea that Samuel feels like he's ready to himself quit because he feels so distraught with what happened of what was supposed to be and what didn't happen that all of a sudden this is where God had given me a word one time and also he connected me to this. He says, don't allow your disappointment to derail your destiny because so often that's actually what holds us back because of our own past disappointment that we think once again this is the way it's always going to be, or you just get so held up and bondage to it that we have a hard time getting past our past instead of moving forward in the future. Um, but the reason why King Saul wanted Samuel to come wasn't because he was like, hey, I just simply want you with me or because I've confessed my sins. He was actually doing that for the praise of people, because he knew that if the people saw him without Samuel, that then the people might lose confidence in him. And so it was all just a play from that whole entire time on of why he did that. So that's why even when uh, King Saul first gets mentioned, like when he shortly after he becomes king, you almost like see his downfall almost happen immediately, almost shortly afterwards. At first you're just thinking like, God, why are you so mad at the boy? Like give him a break. He's like, he's new to this. But like, that's where God says in his word, you know, he doesn't simply just look at the actions. He looks at the motives of your heart. Yeah. Because God is the one that reads that. And the thing is though, is that King Saul, that's why God says, I want someone after my own heart. He wasn't just simply plastering it like, hey, I want someone after my own heart. He was saying... Like, he was basically, like, making, like, um, what's the phrase I want to say? That's eloquent. I can't think of the eloquent word. Sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Um, that King Saul's heart was after people, but he was like, I don't want that. I need it after me. Yeah. And now the overflow of that, you'll care about my people, which is why it matters. 
And so that's all of a sudden where you see such a huge drastic difference from what King Saul did versus what Samuel did. And also then you see also in the pride and jealousy getting away of Saul, where all of a sudden he's trying to kill David. And also then towards the very end, like King Saul, like, um, I wish we had time to go into it because that'd be like almost a sermon in itself, but, or a podcast in itself. But you all of a sudden like see where King Saul like finally came to the realization towards the end of his life that he just messed up like big time. Mm. Like towards the very, very end, like he just realized like this was all my fault. And like to the point that he wow. actually said to David, he was like, you're going to be doing so much better than I will because King Saul realized I cannot kill what God has crowned. And then all of a sudden you see that kind of take place. Um, but yeah, so anyways, like, so that's why all of a sudden when I started listening to Pastor Sean and Stephen Furtick, like, for better or for worse, the people you hang around, like, you know, we hang around someone in Austin where all of a sudden, you know, you start doing things like them, you start doing things you never done or say things you never said before, for better or for worse, because it's rubbing off on you. Not that you become them, but you start doing things similarly to them. So as I started listening to people like Billy Graham and Steve Furtick and Pastor Sean, I started to realize my confidence was simply building just from listening to them. And when I found that out, Austin, was actually do a book by Pastor Ryan Leake, which is not a sponsored video, but Pastor Ryan Leake, you're welcome anyways, <laughs> is that all of a sudden he did a book called The One, which is about relationships. And by the way, that's one of the best books on relationships I've ever read as far as the practicality of it and talks about their own story, but talk about how do I connect it to my own story and they do an amazing job at that. Um, and all I'm saying, that was one of the things he mentioned, was that he said the two or three people you look up to the most is where you have the most potential to become like. Mm-hmm. And even though he was talking about maybe in the journalist about the relationship, um, but at the same time, that was like a really just a much broader aspect of like saying, if you really want to know where you're going, then who are you following? So I like how Denzel Washington said this, like, one time, like, you know, when he was giving a speech or whatever, he says, hey, look, he says, if you want what I have, then do what I did. If you want what I have, do what I did. Uh And so often we talk about, you know, like, oh, yeah, I want what you have. But so often, though, like, all of a sudden when we're actually in the middle of it, all of a sudden we give up because, like, you see all of a sudden this, like, gap, like, when we're over here and here's the end. But here's the weird part is that here's what we really just don't understand or maybe are just unwilling to accept is that oftentimes the middle feels just as bad as the beginning because it actually feels just as dark, just as lonely. Oftentimes that's when you're experiencing your deepest pain is in that middle. So, but like, yeah, I mean, like when, like Ryan Lee talked about that, I was like, yeah, that's actually a pretty, that's a pretty amazing thought. So like when I think of great marriages or relationships, I think of Craig and Amy Corchell, Stephen and Holly Furtick, I think of Levi and Jenny Lusco, like, and they sometimes, when you hear people say certain things, um, like, sometimes you'll think at first, okay, that's very interesting. I've never heard anyone doing that before. But actually, that's actually a good thing. That's the reason why, you know, not saying there's a poll on this or whatever, but if I were to say they're in the top 1% of marriages or relationships or whatever, that's why, because they're doing things what most people are not doing, Mm. because... Great relationship. This is what I've learned actually from everything I've learned about relationships. I thought, okay, this is one thing I've actually finally realized is that great relationships are not made, are are not built off of selfish takers, but selfless givers. But so often though, we make it about a me, me, me mentality. And that's also where you get drawn for a loop. Now, as far as connecting with confidence, there's a, we struggle with this gap between, am I only supposed to care about others or am I supposed to care about myself? Because you hear both. 
But actually, there's this term called enlightened selfishness. We like to say self-help, but a proper term is enlightened selfishness. And basically saying, almost like, um, I'll connect with this since I love movies, but you know, almost like the Apostle Paul, how like God will use every person in the Bible to speak to them in such a way that he'll use their own uh, creative resources, their own background, their own things that they love to like speak true to the people of God. So like me, I love movies. So let me use a movie example. Okay. Here. I like the selfishness is that all of a sudden when you see in the movies like uh, with Avengers and Captain America and Iron Man, you all of a sudden see like we tend to view Iron Man, um, aka Tony Stark, as the one that's always like you know the prideful, cocky individual or whatever. But the thing is, interestingly enough, he was the one that actually gave up his gave gave up his life once. But almost did it twice towards the very beginning, even though he's the one we would deem to be the one that's like the most selfish of all of them. But yet, all of a sudden now when it comes to Captain America, we see him as like the most selfless individual out there, which I would agree. However, here's something you actually see towards the end of Endgame that if you see towards the whole entire uh, longevity of the movies, that you actually see Captain America, Steve Rogers, the one that seems to have everything all together, actually learned something from Tony Stark that Tony Stark had been trying to teach him for a very long time. And it was actually about, it is actually okay to have enlightened selfishness or self-help sometimes to actually care about yourself, to have that simple life. So that's why we're all of a sudden, when you see Steve Rogers also say, you know what? I'm going to go back to the one I want to marry. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. like, I just want to dance with the right partner. So basically in that moment, he was saying, you know what? Like, I realized that it's okay for me to take care of myself sometimes so that's why all of a sudden when you see in the movies, where all of a sudden like you know you see him at the first Avenger, um, Captain America movie, all of a sudden he gave up his life, and all of a sudden you actually see it in um, in Endgame, where all of a sudden we have a question. I'm like, well, why did you do that? Why didn't you actually just get out of the parachute or something? And he was like, oh, I just had to do it because he was in such a state of mentality of I had to give up myself, I had to give up myself that even actually when he was presented with the opportunity to actually survive. He actually ended up not taking it because when you look at the original Captain America movie, he said, like, he said, Bucky, everyone else is like, people are laying down their lives. I have no right to do to give any less than them. That's it right there. Because also now he was being so selfless to the point that actually he was almost like willing to help others at the expense of himself, even, even at the risk of his own life, even at moments when he didn't have to. And that's where Tony Stark actually taught him that it's okay. You can care for yourself now. Mm. So, and that's where confidence really comes from within. It's being comfortable, but that's where you need to know who you follow. Because that, and the thing is, though, I cannot stress that part enough because I know that seems so insignificant. And at first it does. Like, I can understand that. Because it's not like it happens overnight. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, I started listening to them and all of a sudden it was like, okay, an overnight change. It was not like that. But actually, it was just a steady progress. It was a steady push in the right direction of consistency that changed the directory of where I was going and where I've been heading. That's actually giving me a better vision of this is who I want to become or this is who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm trying to be like, you know, like a Steel Front 2.0. I'm going to be Samuel Chase 1.0. Like, that's where, like, I'm called to be me. I'm not called to be anyone else but myself, that's who God has called me to be. Powerful, man. (laughs) Powerful. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I heard this quote the other day, and it kind of um, encompasses what we've been talking about. Yeah. And that's, you know, 30% 
of people are gonna love you, 30% of people are gonna hate you, 30% of people are not gonna care. <laughs> They're going in, indifferent. They're just gonna yeah, be like, ah, yeah. oh, whatever, whatever. I don't really. It's like good, bad, I don't care. Flip a quarter. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that kind of goes into the sense of like, it, it. A lot of this fear that we're talking about is just the fear of showing up. Mm-hmm. The fear mm-hmm. of like living your life, yeah. you know? Whether it's the insecurity we feel about ourselves, whether it's the fear that we uh, feel about other people perceiving us, yeah. or whether it's the fear of actually getting up and living, like showing, you know, just showing up. Um, so I love your two cents, man. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, yes, actually, I would say this is that um, I would say now, um, so when I mentioned about Trilogy Ministry earlier, hmm. is that. I realized at the time, like I said, even though there was a part of me that genuinely wanted to grow, but the reason why I was asking was merely a symptom for how I was actually feeling on the inside. So to give another example, so like like I said, when I said earlier once or twice that I seemed introverted, like I seemed actually very introverted, even though the actual, interestingly enough, the exact opposite ended up proving true that I actually am very, very extroverted like, like 70 plus percent. I'm like, I'm a very high extrovert. So that's why it's like, you know, if I'm like alone or whatever, I almost feel drained. If for those that don't understand that, you're definitely the introvert because you're going to be like, that makes no sense. Like, yep, you're an introvert. That's why. Mm-hmm. So, but for me, that's what gives me energy. That's what gives me drive. But you used to be alone. Yes. Because of the insecurity or? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. you know what? That was the thing though. It was kind of one of those moments where you almost like try to lie to yourself in a way. And like I'm an up, introvert. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you almost end up lying to yourself in such a way that you tell yourself over and over and over that it almost seems like the truth uh-huh. to yourself. So, and what I realized is that I sense this from a lot of people when they say they're introvert. I'm like, you're not. I don't think you're introvert. Or at least you're doing a very sucky job at explaining yourself. I don't say that to them. Apparently, I'm just like, I don't think about, I, you gotta think about this a little more. Is that a lot of times we tend to mistake insecurity for being introverted. And those are two entirely separate things. I could be an extrovert and be insecure. But I realized, you know, when I was a student, this is one of the things I really regret doing. This is where it comes to fearing, um, don't fear rejection, fear regret. So this is one example of this on a personal note, is that when I was a student, I used to play this game called uh, Crud or whatever. And so it was a game we play on a pool table and everything. And I did it in our game like Foursquare or whatever when I was younger. And I played it so much, so often. That was, I was genuinely in like the, probably the top five best players of student ministries at that time because I played it so much and i remember one time someone said to me she was like man you're so addicted to that game and interestingly enough here's what i began to realize is that while i did enjoy the game but the reason why i was playing it so much and so often austin was because it was it was simply merely a symptom of what i was experiencing on the inside because i wanted validation of doing well at something that i knew i was on able or incapable of doing from being around people because i knew that if i actually put my, get myself out there or put myself out of the way to hang out with people that then i'd probably be rejected because i just lack social awareness or social cues or anything like to the point that i was just like it just made me so nervous that even when people offered me something i would just automatically think to myself they don't want anything to do with me so then i would just automatically say no <clears throat> so sometimes um where something shows up is not really the place where it started. Hmm. Um, a lot of times this is merely a symptom for, for something else much deeper that you have yet to express. Sometimes you can seem addicted to something 
And really the thing that you seem to be addicted to is not really the root issue of your problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I ended on this story about fear. Um, so I'll end it on one of my biggest points in children's ministry that I realized I was like, it really stuck to me hard. So, and this actually should encourage some people though, too. Um, this is my goal in this is that I all of a sudden, I remember one time, like here's saying, this was actually before I was in the fashion, but like, I was still confident. I was, I was winning it. I was trying to get into fashion a little bit, but I just didn't know how. But anyways, I remember like thinking or praying like one or twelve two times I was thinking I'm like God it'd be really nice to have a dressed brown pair of shoes that's pretty much all I said like I mean it was just kind of like it was just like that pretty much it wasn't anything deep there wasn't anything profound about it <laughs> I wasn't like you know I was about like you know getting like a whole bunch of, I didn't say anything to anyone for that matter I don't even think I said anything to my parents I just I just, just like something I was thinking of and all of a sudden there was someone that's like much older and much wiser than me and like he's um like he's an Israeli Christian. I mean, he came from Israel and everything. So I mean, he's a he's a pretty cool guy. And all of a sudden, one time, just out of nowhere, like on a Wednesday or something, he we pass by each other, you know, casually, like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, I'm doing well, but you, like, you know, traditional, you know, Christian American talk sometimes. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he also said to me, he says, hey, by the way, he says, um, what size shoes do you wear? And I was, I was saying, uh, a nine and a half. And he says. I have a dress pair of brown shoes that I feel like God was wanting me to give away. Stop. That I pretty much just got it. I know it's, it's really crazy. And I'll say, he says, and I feel like God wanted me to give it to you. And he was just like, and what? so I was wondering, can I, like, I can bring it in on Saturday so you could try, uh, Sunday so you could try it on. And I was just like, okay, sure. Now, here's the thing, Austin. I wish I could say I had this most amazing faith towards God and I was thinking Jesus out of the top of my lungs. But I really didn't at all. That was not my first thought. Literally, my first thought was, I probably won't like him. <laughs> that was my first honest God, God's thought. I was just like, yeah, I'm probably not going to like him. And all of a sudden, so he brings him in on Sunday. And I looked at him, and they are nice dressed brown shoes. I mean, he was like, he works at Nordstrom. And all the reason why I say that is just to give you an idea. They're not like cheap brown shoes or something. These are actually nice brown shoes. And anyways, but then all of a sudden, to lack faith even more, then I was like, they probably won't fit. They fit. <laughs> and all of a sudden, but like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I almost felt like it's a shock. I'm like, how in the world did you read my mind like that? Uh. Like, how did you do that? And all of a sudden, like, midway during this day on Sunday, like, here's the thing. At this time, like I said, I kind of still, like, I struggled with a lot of insecurities and fashion stuff and all that. It was in a pink bag. In my mind, I'm like, at the age of, like, 18 years old, I'm pretty much 18, 19, so I'm pretty much at the beginning stages of my adult life here, and also I was just like, oh my gosh, like, no, no one can see me with a pink bag, what would people think if they see me with a pink bag? It's not church nonetheless, I'm like, I am not going to have people, so I hit it, I hit it, I hit that bag really, really well, so anyways, I'm like, okay, I'll get it towards the end of the day, it's going to be good, and I now I got dressed pair of brown shoes, amen, but anyways, towards the end of the day, like, after all the services are over, ready to leave, I go over to the closet where I put the bag and the bag is not there. And all of a sudden it's like, nah. I probably just put it over on the other corner. And like, you're looking all over and all of a sudden this is like, this is not there. And I'm all of a sudden like, just really starting to go frantic. I'm just like, oh crap. I'm like, 
I fit him so well, I've lost my own shoes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, I am looking and looking, I mean, like, frantically for, like, a half hour, and I asked a couple of people, I was like, have you seen this dress pair of her shoes? And they're like, no, I didn't even see any. I'm like, no, that's gotta be her. <laughs> 18, 19 years old, I'm just like, I'm like, I did not act. I was like, ah. Um, and all of a sudden, by the end of it, I could not find the shoes. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He's going to kill me. I'm just like, I'm like... He literally's gonna think I am such a jerk. The guy or guy? Yeah, guy. <laughs> Got you probably for that matter. I was like, I was like, I mean, because I felt so confident I had left the shoes there. I'm like, I mean, even though I knew I hit him well, but I was like, there's no way. I, like, I, I just was so baffled. I was yeah. like, I had to have left them there. I was like, but they were not there. And I was just like, someone checked the security cameras or something. <laughs> like, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, he cannot find out. I'm like, I gotta try to find him. And so, anyways, like, Later in the week comes around, all of a sudden, because usually I saw him, like, on a Wednesday or something, like, midway in the week, and I pray to God, I was like, God, I'm like, please help me find the shoes before I come across <laughs> them, and Lord, if I do come across them, may he not dare, under any circumstances, ask me about the shoes <laughs> until I find the pair of shoes. I literally was just like, I did not want to come across them at all. I was just like, God, help me, please. <laughs> and all of a sudden, of course, once it comes around, and he's there, and... All of a sudden, like, you get that nervous, like, anxiety. Like, you're not, like, showing it externally, but internally, you're just like, oh, no, no, gosh. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's just like, like, in this very calm and firm voice, he's like, hey, Samuel. I'm like, hey. He's like, how are you doing? I'm like, doing well? Yourself? <laughs> like, you're just like, you can't wait for the conversation to be uh -huh. over already. And he's like, oh, I'm doing, doing well. Um, so... How do you like the shoes? <laughs> you're like, your countenance just totally just like drops uh, and like, you almost like feel going in that compulsion cry almost for like a brief moment. And it's like, I'm oh, sorry. I confess my sis to you. <laughs> I'm a terrible individual. And all of a sudden he was, I was just like, I lost the shoes. I mean, I was just like, I was like ready to lose. It. I was like, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. I know. I was like, I'm such a jerk. And it was like, I was in a pink bag and I was trying to hide it. I, mean, I was going through the whole entire thing. And I was he's like, he says, huh? I kind of figured as much. He said, um, well, the reason why I asked is because my son accidentally brought him back into the vehicle without me knowing about it because he thought I accidentally left oh my the shoes. Gosh. And all of a sudden, I was just like, at that moment, instead of like being like mad at myself, I was just like, I hate that kid so much. I was like, <laughs> like the pain and anxiety he caused over my life. It's all his fault. It's all his fault now. It's like, it's been a few days. <laughs> I've had the struggle 24-7. And... Oh. And all of a sudden, though, um, I wish I could remember everything he said, but all of a sudden, after a moment, he was just like, well, he says, so what can you, what can we learn from this situation? In my mind, I was just thinking, well, don't care about the freaking pink bag. I'm like, just like, let it stick out. Like, who cares? Um, although, ironically, pink is out of the car. I get complimented on the most. <laughs> but ironically, now, <laughs> changes a man. <laughs> Emotionally, spiritually, and fashionably. <laughs> Amen. But all of a sudden, though, he said... You know, he says, you were in such fear of what I would think that you withheld yourself from actually asking me the question, I gotta be honest, I don't know where the shoes are. So he's saying, don't try to please people in this. You need to be confident with yourself, but have your confidence in Christ. Because about where you put your confidence, that matters. Well, there it is. 
If you're here, it means you made it to the end. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. The feedback I've been receiving from this podcast has been humbling, and I feel a sort of responsibility to really seek out and share the spiritual truths of the universe. I hope you're able to find some golden nuggets in this convo with Samuel to help you overcome your fears and start developing the inner confidence you need to live out your best life. I know I did. His raw authenticity and comedic personality is not only entertaining, but full of so many life lessons beneath the surface. Sam actually reached out to me shortly after we sat down and asked if he can talk about a Bible story that he felt called to share. I had him on again and we dove into John chapter 11. He does such a good job in portraying the story and allows the truths within the passage to really seep into our hearts. I can't wait to share it with you guys. I'd love to hear your favorite parts and the most impactful parts of this conversation. Well, that's it for now. Remember to stay calm, have faith, study God's word, and the rest will fall into place.